0: Church, developing a culture of loving Christ and serving others. Excited to be able to preach to you this morning about heaven. Heaven, we all love heaven, right? And um, so I'm just excited to share with you this topic. We've been st- having a series on One Minute After You Die, and Pastor Seth and Pastor Jed have spoken to you, and they've done amazing jobs of just talking about what happens after we die. And today I get to end it with heaven, and that's the best way to end is with heaven. So let's go ahead and um, I'm just pray with me today as we get ready to present this message. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are here And that heaven is here. And we thank you, Lord, for this awesome time of worship that we've had of just praising you and glorifying you. And I just pray for this message that the hearts would be able to receive it and to hear it. And that you would speak to us today through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a story of an old mountaineer who had lived a full but not exactly saintly life. And how now he was on his deathbed. He summoned his weeping wife and he said, Sarah... "'Go to the fireplace and take out the third stone from the top.' She disinstructed, and he said, "'Reach in there,' said her husband, "'and bring out what you find.' Her fingers touched a large mason jar, and with some effort she pulled it up. The jar was full of cash. "'Sarah,' said the old man, "'when I go, I'm going to take all that money with me. "'I want you to put that jar up in the attic by the window, "'and I'll get it as I go on my way up to heaven.' His wife followed his instructions, and that night the old mountaineer died.' After the funeral, his wife remembered the mason jar and went to the attic. There was the jar, and it was still full of money by the window. Oh, said the widow, I knew I should put put it in the basement. Yes, last week Jed did an awesome job of talking about hell. and That's not an easy subject to talk about, but he did an amazing job of just presenting why there's hell and then a great message to us that we need to be out there telling people about hell so that they don't go there, that we to point them to the truth. And today we're going to talk about heaven. And I'm so excited about this topic because it's a fun topic, for one. We all like to talk about heaven. And, you know, we ask ourselves, is heaven real? Is it a real place? Is it just... A figment of our imagination? Is it just something we like to tell ourselves is there to make us feel good, to give us something to look forward to when we die, but it's not really real? Or maybe some people think it's just a, a spiritual state that they attain to when at the end, but it's not a real place. Some people, when they think of heaven, they think it's a place in the clouds with angels and harps and pearly gates, and there's always Saint Peter at the gate letting people in. Have you noticed that? And some people believe in, like, multiple heavens, that we earn our way to heaven and and we get there by doing good works. In a recent survey, it said that 72% of Americans believe in heaven, and they define it as a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. And of that 72%, some of them, 88% that claim to be evangelical Protestant Christians, 88% of them believe in heaven. Um, 85% of Catholics believe in heaven, 95% Mormons believe in heaven, 40% of the Jews believe in heaven, 89% of Muslims believe in heaven, 47% Buddhists, 5% atheists, and then 50% of people who claim nothing at all, that they just don't believe anything, believe in heaven. So, but what do, what does the Bible say about heaven? Because here, we believe what the Bible teaches, and we believe the Bible is the only authoritative true word of God. And so we're going to talk about what the Bible says about heaven. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is real. In fact, the Bible mentions heaven more than 500 times. And during his last hours with his disciples, Jesus said this to them about heaven. In John fourteen two through 4 he said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. In fact, the Greek word that Jesus used here is called topos, and it actually refers and means a physical location. So we have full confidence, based on what Jesus said, that there is a real physical place called heaven. And it is, Jesus is there right now preparing a place for us. And he will come again and he will take us there. Now, the Bible talks about three distinct heavens. Now, there's the heavens, the first heaven is the heavens that we see when we go outside and we see the skies and the blue, the, the blue sky and the clouds and the birds. That's the first heaven. And then there's the second heaven, which is the, the realm of the heavenly bodies, which is the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon and the galaxies. And then Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, describes about his experience that he says that he was caught up to the third heaven. This is the place beyond the first and the second heavens where the place of God, where God dwells. And that is the heaven we're talking about today, the heaven that we can look forward to, the heaven that we who place our trust in Jesus Christ will one day live and join Christ. Revelation 21 gives us a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like and what we can look forward to. So if you have your Bibles with me, with you, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. If not, I believe it's going to be up here. Yep. And you can read along. So it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and it is true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. This is what we can look forward to. This is a real place. We have the assurance of Jesus Christ himself that we can and will be there one day. The first thing that we can look forward to in heaven based on these scriptures is that it says there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, the scripture says. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Think of this time, the the time that this book is written. Revelation is written by John. He was the apostle, uh, he was the disciple of Jesus. And this letter was written during an extreme time of persecution for the early church, the Christians. And John himself was exiled onto this island of patmos before being a christian and while he was there he received a vision from god and this is what he wrote down and then he wrote this down and he sent this out to all the churches so imagine with me what this must have been like these christians who were facing death every day their lives were in danger for being followers of Christ. Some of them probably had been beaten. Some of them bore the scars of, of caring, of the scars of knowing Jesus. Some of them had lost loved ones to martyrdom. They definitely lived with death, sorrow, pain, and crying. And I can only imagine what they must have felt like and the hope that they must have felt and received as they opened this letter for the first time. And they read these words, these words that Jesus says to them, Behold, I am making all things new. Don't worry, because there's going to come a day where I will wipe every tear from your eye, and there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more suffering. There is a reason, and there's something to look forward to. And I love this promise that God gave that church, and that is still for us today. This promise is for us today. We may not be facing death here in America. We are blessed. We are blessed that we are not being persecuted and tortured and killed for being a Christian. But we do have our share of sorrow, our share of pain, our, sh- our share of suffering. I know that there are some here today that live in chronic pain. They suffer from pain daily and they have to take medication. I know there's some here who today who suffer from Maybe at one time in their life or even now has suffered from depression, loneliness, anxiety, fear, worry. It can consume us. I know that there's some of us who've dealt with the pain of separation from maybe ones who've already died or just separation from loved ones because of conflict. You know, and we we all carry something. We all carry some sort of sorrow and pain. We've all shared our tears. We've all cried tears tears that have just been painful, but we know, we can say with assurance that there will come a day when Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more pain and there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more separation. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more chemotherapy. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more sadness, loneliness, no more death, no more goodbyes. That is what we have to look forward to. Amen? Amen. 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 You know, it's Mother's Day, and um, because it's Mother's Day, I want to share a story about my mom. And we all know the term mama bear. You've heard that? Yes. Yes. We all know it does not come by lightly because you do not want to mess with a mama bear. And moms are there to protect their children. They're there to, to go to bat for them, to come to their rescue. And when I was in the fourth grade, I was going through a really difficult time. I, had th- I suffered from the, the bullies of girls and their meanness at times. Us girls were wonderful, but we can be mean. And there was a group of girls when I was in fourth grade that just had it out for me, and they they were being very mean to me, and they wanted to make sure that everybody was being mean to me, and it was a very hard time. And I would go to school, and I couldn't find anybody to play with me. I'd go out, you know, at recess, and everybody would kind of, she's got cooties, and run away, and and it was hard. It's a painful time, and I hated school. I didn't want to go to school, and I would cry every morning, Mom, I don't want to go to school, and... It was tough. And after about a week of this, my mom said, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to do something about this. And she called the the teacher. She called my teacher. My teacher was an awesome, amazing teacher. And when my teacher heard about this, she was heartbroken. She was like, what? She did not know what was going on. So she called these girls in and, and me and she sat us down in the teacher's lounge, which was the cool place to go when you're a kid. And I remember her sitting there and she was just, she herself was crying. She was heartbroken, and she's like, why are you doing this to each other, you know? And she made us all hug, and we cried, and we made up. But I think about that, and it meant so much to me because my mom did something about it. She had my back. She came to my rescue. And that's like Jesus. Jesus came to our rescue He left the glories of heaven. He left heaven, and he came down to earth. He took on humanity. He took on humanity so that he could go to the cross, and he could take our sins upon him and die on the cross and then raise again on the third day so that we did not have to fear death, so that we do not have to live in this world with all that it has to offer. We have the hope of heaven. Amen? Jesus came right he is sitting on the throne and one day he is going to say i am making all things new we will have new bodies we will have restored minds we will have new beginnings new hope and new life with jesus that is something we can look forward to but more than just that we have this to look forward to and that is that in heaven we will be in the presence of jesus amen Revelation three says, "Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with Him them. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Think of that. Think of the water of life that we will be drinking out of daily." And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God, and they will be my children. You see, God created us with eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has placed eternity into the hearts of mankind. Basically, what this means is that when God created us in his image, he placed within this this hunger heaven, this hunger for the things of eternity. And so we like to think about it. We like to think about heaven and what it's going to be like. We like to ask ourselves questions like, what will we look like in heaven? Will we be married? Will we have families? Will we, like, know each other will, in heaven as we know each other here? What can we expect? Is heaven going to be boring? Are we going to, like, have nothing to do for eternity? And, or are we going to be able to do the things up in heaven that we do here on earth? You know, Pastor Seth last week goes, is there going to be hunting in heaven? And, sorry, I don't think so unless you kill them and they come back to life, I don't know, but there's no death in heaven, so, but there'll be something better than hunting for all you hunters out there, right, but there's going to be so much, and we, we, we think about it, we like to daydream about heaven, and that's great, and those are fun, and it's good to think about heaven, because Christ just God has placed eternity into our hearts to think about, and to long for those things, but Not to the detriment that we realize that what heaven is really all about is to be in the presence of the almighty God. To be in the presence of Jesus. To worship him with no hindrances, no distractions, no sin. You know, we had this amazing worship service today, and it was awesome. But even then, there's still distractions. There's still things that keep us from entering into that full worship. And just think of heaven. Think of that worship service, that time that we're going to be in his presence and nothing is going to be holding us back. Revelation chapter 4 says that when we are in heaven, we will fall down before him who sits on the throne. And we will worship him. We will lay our crowns at his feet. And we will say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Let me tell you something today, people. Heaven will not be boring. There is nothing boring about heaven. We will always be worshiping God. You see, God created us to worship him. Worship is the very core of our existence. It's sin that entered into our lives that kept us from that full experience of worship. And in heaven, we will have that full worship. We will also be able, I believe, to be able to explore the new heavens and the new earth. I, yesterday, my family and I got out, and we got to go hiking, and we hiked up to this waterfall that always, not always comes, but every once in a while, every spring it comes, and we always sit on our deck, and we see this waterfall, and I'm like, I really want to get up to see that waterfall, so yesterday we did. It's a very beautiful, beautiful hike, but it's very hard, but it, it was awesome, and I was thinking as we were going up there just how gorgeous it is, and I love to be in God's creation and in his nature, and we are able to worship him through it, but can you imagine what we're going to be able to explore and do in heaven, the mountains we're going to be able to climb, the, the the lakes that we get to swim in. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to be amazing. But I also believe that we're going to have responsibilities in heaven. We are going to be ruling with Christ. Matthew 25, 21 says this, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You have been faithful with a few things, "'and I will put you in charge of many things.'" Come and share your master's happiness. We're going to have responsibilities in heaven. We're going to have things to do. William Barclay, an older theologian, said it like this. For the Christian, heaven is where Jesus is. We do not need to speculate on what heaven will be like. It is enough to know that we will be forever with him. Nothing else is going to matter when we get up to heaven. All these questions that we have here on earth, all those concerns, it's just going to evaporate in the presence of the one who created all things, of the one who bore our sins upon the cross, who makes all things new. We're just going to be in his presence, and that's going to be enough. You know, I think I kind of compare it to our wedding days, you know, when uh, my wedding day with Nate and all of us who've been married can relate to this, there's so much preparation that goes into the wedding day. We, we get the cake, has to be the perfect cake, has to be the right flowers, the dress, take, spend all these hours sh- shopping for dresses, everything. You know all the stuff that goes into preparing for a wedding. But nothing matters on that day. It's all that matters for that bride and that groom is that m- first moment when they see each other. When that bride walks down the aisle and she lays eyes on her husband and she can't wait to see his expression. And the groom sees his bride. You know, I think of Nathan and when we were getting married and we were standing there and we're saying our vows to each other, his eyes were only on me. Nothing distracted him. He didn't turn here or there or that. They were just locked. And I just remember that. And that's how it's going to be in heaven, because we are the bride of Christ, and He is going to have His eyes locked on us, and our eyes are going to be locked on Him. And we are going to be in his, in each other's presence, and that's going to be enough. So, these are great things, and this is what we can expect for heaven. This is awesome. But how can we live now with heaven? In in the knowledge of heaven. What do we do with this knowledge? Well, I believe that it's so important that we need to live now with heaven on our mind. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, "...since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above." Where Christ is, he is seated at the right hand of God. So set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. During the Second World War, when it was hard for Franklin Roosevelt to travel among the troops because of his disability, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt took his place. And she became a favorite of the soldiers all around the world. She sent cables and letters back to FDR, becoming his eyes and his ears. On one such trip in the Pacific Theater, she spent an evening talking to a group of soldiers. And later her hus- and later told her husband that there was only one thought on all their minds. It was the desire to finish the battle so they could go home. That's how we should feel about heaven. Our desires should be like Paul's in Acts 20, 24, when he says, but My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You know, I think of my grandpa Weed. He he loved he he loved people telling people about Jesus. He was passionate about sharing the gospel. My dad would tell stories about how they would stop at a gas station and he would fill up the car with gas and he'd go inside and like, like they'd be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and their mom would his mom would say, tell one of the kids, would you go in there and see what your dad is doing? And he'd go in th- they'd go in there and he'd be having his arms around the gas station attendant just crying with them and leading them to the Lord. He was like that and he lived in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, which is the home of Mount Rushmore and he liked to go up there on a daily basis, maybe not every day, but as much as he could. And he would like to have breakfast under old George's nose, is what he would say. And he would go up there and he would have breakfast and then he would go and he would sit. There was a pathway, a long pathway that walked up to the, that people had to walk up to, to go up to see Mount Rushmore. And there were benches set alongside for people to rest. And he liked to sit there and he would sit there at those benches waiting for people to come and sit, and they'd be panting and, and you know, short of breath, and he would share with them. He would talk to them. It was his opportunity to share with them about Jesus, and he led lots of people there to the Lord on those benches, you know, and he lived a great life of telling people about the Lord, and he, my grandma died, and after she died, he kind of just was done. He was ready. He was like, okay, I've finished my race. I'm ready to go and be with the Lord, and he had suffered a heart attack, and he was he decided, I don't want to have any surgeries. I don't want anything to keep me alive any longer. I'm ready to go. And so he was in the hospital, and my, grand- my uncle, my dad's brother, was with him. He was the only one with him, and um, he, was, he was in and out of consciousness. He was, he was dying. And there was a prayer meeting going on at his church. And, of course, they wanted to keep him around a lot longer. But my uncle said, no, that's not his wish. We, we need you to be praying for him to go. And so they started to do that, and they were praying for him to go. And my grandpa was, you know, like I said, in and out of consciousness, and my uncle decided to read to him from Psalms 91. And my grandfather, if you knew him, he loved God's word. He had most of it memorized. And Psalms 91 was his favorite. And so there my uncle is, and he's my reading, and he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And out of the quietness, he hears this, (gasps) and he looks up, and my grandpa, who was pretty much unconscious, had this look, he had gasped, and he was like, his hands were up, and he had this look of joy, because he had just entered into the presence of Jesus. He had finished his race. He was done. He had done what he had come to do, and he had received his reward. You see, while we're here on earth, Satan wants to do everything he can to keep us from thinking about heaven. He wants to use every distraction that he can to deter us from wanting the things of heaven. He will get us wanting possessions. He will want us to be busy. He will do everything he can. To, to want us to want this world and what it has to offer versus what God has waiting for us. I kind of like to think of it this way. Imagine that you have received this large sum of money and you decide you want to bless somebody with it. But not just anybody. You want to bless somebody who doesn't have any money. So you go down to Ogden, downtown Ogden, and you get a homeless person or a couple homeless m- people. And you say, I want to treat you to the best dinner ever. I want you to take you to the fanciest restaurant so here in Ogden, I, the only one I could think of is like the timber mine or something like that. So you take them to the timber mine, a, a steakhouse, and you tell them, "I want you to order everything on this menu that you want. You can have every order. You can have the biggest prime rib. You can have refills of soda. You can have dessert. And you order all this food for this homeless person who doesn't eat like this. And then the food comes, and all of a sudden, this person gets up. They look at it and they walk away, and they leave." And after a few minutes, you begin to wonder, are they coming back? And they don't come back. And so you pay the bill and you go outside and you turn and you look, and there's that homeless person in the dumpster eating from the dumpster. Because that's what they were used to. They couldn't take the, the blessings that were in front of them because they were used to eating out of the dumpster. And sometimes I think that's how we live this world. We settle for the w- things that the world has to offer, we settle for the trash of earth and the worldly things. Instead, of the beautiful feast that God has for us in heaven, the eternal awards that he has for us. Matthew six nineteen through and 20 through 21 says it this way. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The important thing here is that Jesus is saying we aren't that we that we don't cannot have treasures. He's just saying he's directing us to where our treasures should be. So, what do we treasure here on earth more than what we should treasure in heaven? Sometimes we treasure possessions. Sometimes we can treasure the praise of men. Sometimes we treasure our wealth, our prestige, our honor. And these are the things that the things of this world treasure. That's what they glorify. This is a worldly mindset. But Jesus said that we are to fix our mind on things above, on heavenly things. Now, those things in themselves are not bad. It's not bad to have gifts and and things here on earth. You know, the Bible says in James that God is the giver of all good things. He's a good, he loves to give good gifts to his children. So it's not wrong to have those things. But what is wrong is when we value those over things of God, over the things of heaven. It's when we place our hope and our trust and our security in the things of this earth versus Jesus Christ himself. It says, Jesus says, For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And just as the sunflower follows the sun, so our heart will follow our treasure. So where we place our treasure is what we place our values. It's where we place our esteem. It's where we place our cares and our worries. Whatever our treasure is is what we fix our thoughts on. It's what, we cons- it's what consumes us. It's what swallows us whole. You see, Jesus says we are to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, If you read history, you will find... That the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. This earth is not our home. Paul says in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. That is our home. That is what we're waiting for. That is our final destination. So, if we are to not think about this earth and put our thoughts and our trust and our treasure in the things of this world, but we're to do it on heaven things and treasures in heaven, what are those things in heaven? What are treasures in heaven? Well, it's anything that has eternal value, it's anything that reaps rewards in heaven. There's this Greek phrase that Paul uses in the Philippians when he says, he says this, he says, tis gar plen. And basically, it means. What does it matter? Or so what? He used this term in the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, when he heard that they, they had previously told him before he wrote this letter, hey, Paul, there's these um, super apostles, there's these Christians who think they're better than you and they don't really like you, and they're out preaching Jesus, but they're doing it with the wrong motive and wrong attitude, and they're trying to do it to, like, belittle you, Paul. So, you know, that, you know they're kind of, like, tattling on him. And, Paul, this is his response. He says, tis our plan. So what? What does it matter? As long as Christ is being preached, let them do it. And you know, I was studying that phrase, and I, I thought about it this week, and I thought, that's the attitude we need to have about the things of this world. We get so caught up in little things that just don't matter. We get so irritated about stuff that really, in five years, does it matter? In an hour, does it matter? In eternity, does it matter? We need to have this attitude about the things that get us so riled up here on earth. We need to have this attitude of tisgarplin. What does it matter? What we need to ask ourselves, the things we need to get upset about are the things that really matter, the things that have eternal value, the things that have eternal consequences. I think of as a mother, I can get so caught up in things that don't matter. I, I'm a kind of a clean, free, OCD kind of person, and I get, like, bent out of shape when, like, cords are, like, spilling out of a basket or toys are, like, all over the house, and I'll just, like, lose it. And, I, and then I feel bad afterwards. Maybe some of you mothers can relate to that. And it's okay to want things nice and tidy, but we have to make sure that that's not the thing that preoccupies us or consumes us. And, and I think of mothers, and I think of we're so busy we're so busy going, 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 and doing, and, we're, and a lot of it are good things. We're doing things for our kids. We're taking them to soccer practices. We're taking them to ballet. We're running them here and there, and that's and all good stuff. But the most important thing that we can do for our children is to build within them a spiritual legacy, The most important thing is to pray with your children, to teach them how to pray, to read to them from God's word, to show them the importance of God's word in their life. That's what matters. That has eternal significance and eternal value. You know, my son Eli... He's nine, and he had to do a school project a few months ago, and he had to read a biography. And he chose to read a biography about a man named Nate Saint. Now, if you don't know who Nate Saint was, he was a missionary back in the 1950s with some other men um, to the, tell me again who it is, Eli, the Indians? Houdani. Houdani Indians. And they were um, in Ecuador, Ecuador, and they um, did not know Jesus. They were totally unreached tribe, like primitive, very evil people. And they had a heart to reach these people for Jesus. And in one of those um, times that they were out there, they were making connections with him, him and some other men, and they were making some connections with these these tribes of in this tribe of Indians. And things were going good, and they were super excited. But things went bad, and this tribe slaughtered them and massacred them, and they died. And um, the cool thing about the whole situation is that later on, these men were led to the Lord through their wives. So that's really cool. And so they, they didn't die in vain. But what I'm trying to tell you here is that this book changed Eli's life. It rocked his world. You know, he came, and he said, Mom, I just like since reading this book God has called me to be a missionary and I think yes he has Eli if God has called you you go and you do it and a few weeks ago we were driving to church and I said Eli you know what do you want to be when you grow up and he said you know mom I'm going to be a missionary you know he's, he's, he's stuck to that he's like and I just want you to know mom I'm probably going to die for being a missionary now that's not exactly what you want to hear from as a mom He's, like, taking this call serious. He's, like, I'm willing to lay down my life to tell people about Jesus. You know, he's, he's, and I think it's cool. Yes, God calls our children. He calls our children. And there's this quote that Nate Saint said, and Eli wrote it down. He has it written on his wall, and he has it memorized, and it says this. And people do not know the Lord. And people who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they, too, are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Oh, Lord, forgive us for the years that we have wasted on stuff that doesn't matter, that has no eternal significance. We need to be able to be living this world with heaven on our minds you know, we've all had some struggles in this world, but we can take heart that there will be rewards in heaven. There is going to be a moment when Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. We will receive some crowns in heaven. The Bible lists a few. In fact, this is they give some examples of the ones we will, uh, there will be crowns for self-discipline. There will be a crown for leading others to Christ. There will be a crown for those who long for Jesus' return. There will be a crown for those who have endured and triumphed over trial and tribulation and persecution. And there's a crown for those who were faithful shepherds of God's people. These are just a few that the Bible mentioned, but there's going to be crowns for everyone. Charles Spurgeon says this, There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. And there are some of us here who have really had to carry heavy crosses in this life. Some of us have had to suffer more than others, but we can take heart that this is not the end. There is a heaven and there is a reward waiting for us. And it's good to know that we have crowns, but we have to remember that we are going to lay those crowns right at Jesus' feet. And we're going to say we are happy because Jesus is our chief reward being in his presence. You know, in closing, this point I'm going to close, and there's something I want all of you to do. I want you to kind of lean in. This is a term that the pastors use and it's basically like we want you to hear this if there's anything i know that we can tune things out throughout sermons i know the attention span of a human being but this is the one thing i want you to hear and i want you to lean in and i want you to hear this and that there is only one way to heaven only one way and that not everyone who dies goes to heaven not everyone will go to heaven it does not matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much money you gave to charities, how often you served the local uh, homeless shelter. It doesn't matter all of the things you did here on earth. If you do not know Jesus, you do will not go to heaven. The Bible says that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. John 14:6 says Jesus says this, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in Matthew 7, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are very powerful words. Jesus himself said that it is by us knowing him that we will enter into heaven. We must place our trust in him. We must believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to heaven. Our good deeds are not a get-out-of-hell-free card and get-into-heaven guarantee. They're just not. Revelation 21 says this about those who will enter heaven, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. William R. Newell, a great Bible scholar, said these four things are to be noted about the book of life. Number one, it is the absence of one's name in the book, not the absence of one's good works. Which, keep, which dooms a person. Number two, evil works are not the issue. Many of the earth's greatest sinners' names are recorded in the book of life because they accepted God's offer of salvation. Number three, those whose names do not appear in the book, they will be cast into the lake of fire. And number four, all names found in the book were written before judgment day. There is no record of names being recorded or decisions being made on that day. We are only given this one life to live. We are all sinners. We are all in need of Jesus. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all want to go to heaven. There's nobody here that doesn't want to go to hell. We all want to go and head to heaven. But the truth is, is that not everybody will go there just based on wanting to go there or just based on what your life here on earth and what you did. It is only those who accept Jesus, God's Son, as their Lord and Savior, who acknowledge that they are sinful and in need of a Savior, who confess their sins and they trust in Jesus to forgive them of their sins, and they surrender their lives to him and live in submission and obedience to them all their days. And it can only be done in this lifetime. After you die, there's no second chance. And we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know... What's going to happen the moment we step out those doors? So I encourage you today that if you do not know Jesus, if you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, do not delay. Today is the day. Today is the day to choose him, to choose to go to heaven, but it's done through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads at this point. And I just want to ask, if there's anybody here that, God, you feel that stirring in your heart, you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you're ready. You're ready. It's time. You're ready to make that decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, I just pray for you right now to raise your hand. If that's you, to ask Jesus into your heart and you want to do it, raise your hand. Amen. Don't delay. That's you, and that spirit is speaking to you. I pray that you would just raise it right now. Thank you. And then for the rest of you here, I trust that we all know Jesus then, and we're all going to heaven. But maybe you've been challenged today about the message that maybe you're not living with heaven on your mind, and you want to just live that way, that you just want to not be consumed by the things of this world And not be overcome by all the worries and the stress and not let them consume us and take away the joy that God has given us. And if that is you and you want to live with heaven on your mind with eternity and start reaping those eternal benefits, then I just pray that you would stand to your feet and I want to pray with you, Lord. Pray with you to say that, you know, I'm right there with you. I was convicted when I did this message of how much I get upset about stupid things things that don't matter you know we get so upset about like you know i'm just going to share with you we our atv broke and we were so upset about it and i thought how can i get upset about something that is going to break apart yet my neighbor down the street doesn't even know jesus and that doesn't upset me you know lord forgive us for our priorities being messed up this isn't to condemn this is not a message of condemnation it's just a message to say that let's spur each other on let's spur each other on to to live with eternity in our minds let's pray lord i thank you i thank you that you have gone before us that you came down and died on the cross for our sins and then rose again and are up in heaven preparing a place for us i thank you that you have provided a way for us to live with you forever and ever and ever a place where there will be no pain no sorrow no crying no tears no sin and i thank you lord that all we have to do is just accept you and i thank you for all that you do for us and how you love us And that you're patient with us and you're kind with us. And I just pray, Lord, that we would live with eternity on our hearts and our minds. And that we would live knowing that, like, we need to take as many people with us to heaven as possible. That we wouldn't be concerned about the stuff of this earth that just fades away and is destroyed anyway. But that we would be passionate and concerned about spreading your good news to those around us. About... Investing into people and investing into our children and investing into others and loving them and showing them to you, Lord God. Let that be our driving passion. Let that be the force and the the motivation that wakes us up and spurs us on in life. Let it not be about the things of this world. I thank you, Jesus, that you are so good, so good to us. And we praise you and we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information on Northview Church, please visit northviewutah.com.